Let's begin at verse 16, and we'll read together from Daniel chapter 3. Let's read it, shall we? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, what if I want to especially highlight the words of that last verse we just read. We are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, Lord, open our hearts. I pray that we may hear and receive that which the Spirit will say to us in the midst of the preaching. I lift up other life-giving churches, and I pray blessing upon them. I pray for our loved ones not yet walking in right relationship with you. Draw them back to you, Lord. I pray especially for sons and daughters that have wandered away from the faith. Oh, Lord, arrest their hearts, I pray. Don't let one of them be lost. I pray these things in the only name that matters, the matchless name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. There's a part of me that didn't really want to preach the message from this text that the Lord has laid on my heart for today. I, I didn't want to preach it first because it's such a familiar story and and when it's that familiar, that makes it easy for you to check out and not really hear what the Spirit wants to say to you in the midst of the preaching. You know, you'll read that and say, oh, well, I already know that. And so you just kind of start playing games on your phone or something like that, you know. Don't think I don't see that. <laughs> the second reason I didn't want to preach it is because I preached from this text just a few months ago, and while... Many of you, probably most of you, won't remember that message because you usually don't remember what I preach from one week to the next, let alone several months ago. I do know that some of you take copious notes, and I don't want it to seem that I'm just giving you reruns or stale bread by visiting this again. All that being said, I believe the Holy Spirit has laid this message on my heart for today as a message that needs to be preached in the context of the theme of worship I've been preaching about for the last several weeks. Now, there will no doubt, because it's, I mean, it is the story, the story is what it is, so there will be some repeat material from a few months ago, but as I walk through this story, I want to come at it from a slightly different angle than I did a few months ago. A few months ago, I preached this story from the standpoint of talking about the trust of these three young men. Today, I want to focus on their worship, and I want to focus on the effect your worship has on your deliverance. Now, one of the things I know is that trust and worship are, are linked, so you, once you start talking about one, you, the other one kind of bleeds over into it, but I, I really want to focus in on the worship aspect of it today. And I can't talk about the story in chapter 3 of the book of Daniel without talking about some of the background material and some of the events that led up to this point. When the book of Daniel opens, we are introduced to four young men who were part of the aristocracy of Jewish families in Jerusalem. 
When King Nebuchadnezzar overthrew the city, these young men were captured along with many others and were transported as exiles to Babylon. They were probably about 15 years old at the time. Their names were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Upon arrival, the Babylonians set about transforming these Jewish captives into model Babylonian citizens. It was their aim to totally immerse them in the lifestyle and the culture of Babylon. They said, we're going to train you, teach you, indoctrinate you. We're going to change your behavior. We're going to change your priorities. We're going to change your outlook. We'll change the way you dress, the way you look. We'll change your diet. We'll change your speech. We'll even change your name, give you a new identity so that you will completely forget about and abandon the way of your fathers and the God to whom you've been dedicated. Toward that end, they canceled the names by which they were known in Israel, names that celebrated the faithfulness and the mercy and the goodness of God. And in their place, they gave them names that honored and celebrated the false gods of the Babylonians. They said, we're going to rewrite your history, cancel who you are, and in the process, squash your dreams and change your destiny. Now, I'd like to just hit the pause button for a moment to tell you that even though you may not have experienced the, the kind of trauma that these young boys did, there is still a spirit in this world that is trying to do the same kind of thing to the people of God as was done to these young men of Israel. See, you have a spiritual enemy that has been employing some of the same tactics and some of the same devices against the people of God for a long time. See, he's still doing everything in his power to squeeze you into conformity with the prevailing culture that is opposed to the will and the purposes of God. Every day you are bombarded with hundreds, yea, even thousands of messages, both subtle and not so subtle that are crowding in on you trying to get you to think, feel, act a certain way that is in agreement with this culture and is in opposition to the will and the way and the purpose of God. Your spiritual enemy is still doing everything he can to cancel your witness and to preempt your purpose. He's still trying to entice you to embrace a path of immediate gratification that ignores eternal consequences. He's still bombarding the people of God with an attack that causes you to question and even at times to deny your spiritual identity. But what the Lord would want you to know today is he would want to cause you to remember that you are in this world, but you are not of this world. See, you may be in a dark place right now, but he would remind you in Matthew 5 and 16 that you are still the light of the world. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and then glorify your Father who is in heaven. He would remind you in Ephesians 5 and 8, you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So go ahead, walk as children of light. See, this world will try to put all kind of labels on you, but as 
as a follower of Jesus, your true identity isn't what this world says about you. It's not what your peers say. It's not what your family says. It's certainly not what your enemy says. Your true identity is what God Almighty declares about you in his word. God says in Genesis 1 and 27, you are created in the divine image. God says in Deuteronomy 28 and 13 that you are the head and not the tail. God says in Galatians 3 and 13 that you are redeemed from the curse of the law. God says in Romans 15 and 17 that you are accepted in the beloved. God says in his word that you are justified righteous. God says you are sanctified holy. God says you are forgiven completely. God says you are loved unconditionally. God says you are an heir of righteousness. God says you are highly favored and you're marked for blessing. God says you're designed for success. God says you are more than a conqueror. Oh, you may dwell in a dark place. I know that. You may dwell in a dark place. You may work in the midst of unregenerate people. They may call you uncomplimentary and derogatory names. But don't you ever forget who you really are. Wherever you are, hold on to your true identity in Jesus. Oh, we come to chapter 3 of the book of Daniel. The focus here in chapter 3, we don't know where Daniel is at this particular time. There's a lot of speculation, but he's off wandering around somewhere. But the focus in chapter 3 is on the young, three of the young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as we more commonly know them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. As you read through the book of Daniel, you'll find in this book a number of occasions where King Nebuchadnezzar struggles with pride. In fact, it's going to get so bad just a little bit later on in the book that God will find it necessary to personally step in and bring this king to his knees. So greatly will God humble him that he'll lose his mind and be driven from the palace. He'll be forced to live out in the field, out in the pasture, behaving like an animal. Well, here in chapter 3 is one of the first times when Nebuchadnezzar's pride and ego are on display as he issues a decree for the construction of a 90-foot tall golden image that is to be erected on the plain of Dura. Think about this, 90 feet tall. Some think, some speculate that it was actually crafted in the image and likeness of King Nebuchadnezzar himself. Not only is this a demonstration of the king's pride and vanity, but it's also an attempt to create a religious expression that will unite all the various belief systems of the many nations that he has conquered. Every nation that was conquered and exiled to Babylon brought with them their various deities and practices of worship. So the king made a rule that the people could worship anybody or anything they wanted. They could believe anything they wanted to believe. They could worship the gods of their culture from which they came, but they must recognize Nebuchadnezzar as the supreme authority in their lives. Now, most of the people thought this was a pretty good rule because it meant they didn't have to give up their own brand of religion as long as they recognized that the one who had conquered them occupied first place. At the same time, there was great fear over the consequences of disobedience because the worship wasn't just requested, it was required. 
The penalty for failure to bow down to the image of gold was to be thrown alive into the blazing furnace of fire. Everybody was willing to go along except the three young men who are the central characters in this story. This decree of the king absolutely flew in the face of the very first commandment by which these boys lived. The command where Jehovah had said, you shall have no other gods before me. Now what I want you to see in this story is that the primary issue here is worship. Ever since they were born, it had been drilled into these young men that Jehovah was the only one worthy of worship. Now they're being threatened under penalty of death to substitute something else, to bow down and worship the golden idol. There's a truth I want to put in your hand right here. I, I want you to I want to give you this truth, and I want you to grab hold of it, and I want you to hang on to it through the balance of this message. Are you ready? Why don't you just put your hand out, because I'm going I'm to I'm deposit a truth right there in your hand. Here's the truth. You become like what you worship. Now hang on to that, will you? Just, just, just hold on to that. You become like what you worship. Now, you already know this story. The royal orchestra began to play the signal for everyone to bow down in worship. Everybody fell to their knees except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, the king would probably have never known they didn't bow except some of the Chaldeans who were jealous of these three young upstart Jews who had come in and exceeded them in school and had taken the top prizes in all the competitions and had been promoted over them, they reported their lack of compliance. When news of their insubordination reached the ears of the king, it just got all over him. That's a great southern expression for saying he was mad. He was furious. He was angry because his commands were being disobeyed. He was angry because his authority was being questioned. And he was angry because his pride and his ego were challenged. So here we have an angry king facing off against determined Hebrews. And the central issue is worship. The king's decree is to fall down and worship the idol he's erected. The Hebrew boys say, we're only going to worship Jehovah. You may call us Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in tribute to your Babylonian gods. But underneath, hmm, we still remember that we are in Babylon, but we are not Babylonians. We still remember that we are Hananiah, Jehovah is gracious. And Mishael, one who is like Jehovah. And Azariah, Jehovah is my helper. I still remember who I am. I don't care what you call me. I, I still remember who I am. We, we've been worshiping Jehovah so long, we've started to look like him, and we've started to act like him, and our names reflect the confidence we have in him. So in verses 14 and 15, the king gives them an opportunity to rethink their position on worship. Calls them over into a side room, away from the crowd. He says, look, boys, I get it. You've got, you know, you've made a statement and everything, but 
I'm not going to make you compromise your position in public. But back over here in the side room, it's just us now. It can be a private matter, just, just you and me. Nobody else has to know. Isn't that the way it happens? Isn't that the way the temptation? You know, just, just what you do in, in private, that's okay. But, and then here comes the threat. If you don't bow down to my idol, I'm throwing you into the furnace. And here's the ultimate insult and the ultimate challenge. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? I'm setting myself up as supreme. There's no God like me. What God can deliver you out of my hand when I decide to throw you into the furnace? Well, the young boys reply in verse 16. And they say, well, you do whatever you have to do, king. You go ahead. And then they say in verse 17 and 18 that we read, our, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And here's their confidence. He will deliver us out of your hands, O king. But then their trust that I talked about a few months ago. Even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, we're not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Now notice, <clears throat> they, it, it, it says, you know, we're not careful. In other words, we don't have to go think about this. They didn't have to go pray about what they should do. Can I just tell you, there are some things you don't need to pray about. <clears throat> some things you just don't need to pray about. You don't, waste, you don't need to waste your time or God's time praying about some things. He's already told you what you need to do. Just do it. I'd really like to camp right there, but if I do, I won't get to the rest of this message, okay? So they didn't have to huddle up in a corner so they could develop a response. They, they didn't have to call a committee meeting. They, they didn't have to take an opinion poll to find out what was going to be their best option. See, they had already decided what they were going to do in the crisis before the crisis ever came. They had already been worshiping Jehovah, and they had started to look like the one they were worshiping, so compromise wasn't even a consideration. Another option wasn't even on the radar screen. It was going to be God or nothing. See, what I found is, is, is most people don't live by conviction. They live by preference. Consequently, when the path becomes difficult, they take the easy way instead of the best way. They take the expedient way or the way of least resistance or the way everybody else is going instead of going God's way. Can I just tell you, somebody needs to make up your mind that you're going to be God's man or God's woman no matter what kind of pressure is applied. You need to decide what you're going to do before the moment of crisis comes. So that when the temptation comes, when the crisis comes, you won't make a hasty and usually wrong decision. See, if you haven't decided, then you'll start considering and weighing all the options. But once you make a choice, I'm going God's way, there won't be any confusion. 
The reason most of you are confused is because you haven't decided. Oh, I need to camp there for a moment and say that somebody needs to decide you're going to follow Jesus no matter what. See, no, no matter what anybody else says, no matter what anybody else does, no matter what kind of pressure is applied, you're just going to follow the way of the master. See, what we've done is we've said, we've sung, I have decided to follow Jesus unless something else better comes along. Unless I get a better offer. You just need to decide. Because it's not always going to be red roses and blue skies and birds singing sweetly. There's going to be storm clouds. There's going to be rough patches. There's going to be times when you wonder where God is. If God's even listening and paying any attention to you. And so in those moments, what's going to carry you through is you've got a made-up mind. I'm still going to be God's man and God's woman no matter what. See, I want to tell you, you can't wait until you're in the middle of the temptation to decide how you're going to handle it. If you make up your mind you're going to treat everybody fairly and honestly, then when the temptation comes to cheat, it won't even be an option. You, you won't even have to think about it. If you, if you make up your mind you're going to be faithful, then when the temptation comes to violate your marriage vow, the door will be closed. If you make up your mind you're going to serve God, then when you're tempted to shove him aside and follow the crowd, you won't think twice about being a faithful servant of the Lord. Somebody needs to make up your mind that you're going to be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. You need to make up your mind that you're going to do what's right, even if everybody else is doing what's wrong. You need to make up your mind you're going to put your focus on the eternal, not on the temporal. You need to make up your mind that God's word is true, and God's way is right, and you're going to follow it until the end of your days. This was the commitment of these boys. You know, you know the story. The, the, the three boys didn't bow. And the king then followed through with his threat. And in his anger, had the furnace heated seven times hotter than it had ever been heated before. I, I, I've always wondered how they measured that. I, I don't know. You know. The Bible is silent right there. I can speculate, but it would be only speculation. But it seems this furnace that they're talking about was probably the same furnace that had been used to melt the metal that was formed into the false god. So, again, it's the false god is going to triumph over you. The boys were bound. They were thrown into the furnace of blazing fire as an offering to that pagan deity. The Bible says the furnace was so hot that the guards who threw the boys into the fire were killed by the flames that leaped out when the doors were opened. So this looks like the end for those stubborn Hebrew boys. It looked like their determination to worship the Lord had caused their demise. Ah, but you know, getting thrown into the fire isn't the end of the story. It's a little beyond where we read. Listen to verses 24 and 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They replied, Certainly, O king. 
What a stupid question King asked today, but who knows? He's the king. He can ask him. He said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Now, I'm here to tell you today that worship will not keep you out of the fire. But it will keep the fire off of you. God didn't keep them out of the furnace. He joined them in it. He didn't keep them out of the fire. He took them through the fire. He didn't deliver them from the fiery furnace. He delivered them in the fiery furnace. I'm, I'm trying to help somebody see what God's doing in your life right now. I want to tell you that when you refuse to bow in worship before the idols of this world, that's when the devil turns up the heat. And when the devil turns up the heat, God turns up the protection. If you'll get your worship right, then the first thing I want you to see is that your worship will change your position. Verse 21 says these young men were bound, tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes. Verse 23 says these young men fell in the midst of the furnace, still tied up. Now get this picture. They are bound and they are down. But their worship changed their position. Worship didn't keep them out of the bound and down position, but worship kept them from staying in that position. Because the Bible says in verse 23, or 25 rather, that when the king saw them, he didn't see them bound, he saw them loosed. He didn't see them lying down, he saw them upright and walking around. Oh, oh, hear me, hear me today. When I tell you that you may have to go through some stuff, but your worship will bring you out. And when the Lord brings you out, you'll come out liberated. You'll come out loosed from the bondage of those things that have held you captive. You'll come out loosed from addictions. You'll come out loosed from hurts and wounds that have been suffered at the hands of others. You'll come out loosed from fear. You'll come out loosed from guilt and condemnation. You'll come out loosed from bad memories. You'll come out loosed from failures. You'll come out loosed from insecurity. You'll come out loosed from the expectations of others and the need for affirmation. You'll come out loosed from dependency upon your own self-righteousness or upon your family pedigree or your academic achievement or your professional accomplishment or material possessions or religious traditions, you'll be loosed. But see, see, when Nebuchadnezzar was making his threat here in verse 15, he said, who is the God who will deliver you? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said, our God, our God. And I want to suggest to you today that if you're worried that the God you worship isn't capable of delivering you from the fire, you just need to get you another God. 
When you make up your mind, you will worship him and him alone. Your worship will get you up on your feet again. Your worship will break the inertia that keeps you stuck. Your worship will get you into moving forward again. Your worship will get you out of that low place and bring you onto higher ground. I want to tell you, if you feel like you're stuck in all the stuff, that's the time to worship. You need to lift up holy hands without wrath and doubting unto the Lord. You need to declare his omnipotent power over your life. You need to declare who he is and what he has done. If you'll worship him, he'll get you off your face and onto your feet. It will get you moving forward. It may not get you running, but it'll keep you walking. See, God isn't looking for somebody who's running a sprint. We don't need somebody to take off in a blaze of glory. We just need you to keep walking. We just need you to keep going forward. We just need you to keep putting one foot in front of the other. Doesn't matter what anybody says. Doesn't matter what anybody does. You're just going to keep going forward. You're going to keep climbing. You're going up to higher ground. Oh, Lord, lift me up. Let me stand by faith on heaven's table and a higher plane than I have found. Oh, Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. That's what God has for you. I'm telling you, your worship will change your position. Not only that, but your worship will commission your protection. Verse 27 says that when the king called the Hebrew boys out of the furnace, they were examined. It says the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's high officials gathered around. Now, that's what you call an examining board. When they did a thorough examination from head to toe, here's what the Bible says they discovered. The fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had the smell of fire even come upon them. Listen, listen. When you make up your mind you're going to worship, you may indeed get thrown into the fire. But the only thing the fire will destroy is the rope that has you bound. The fire the enemy meant for your destruction is the very means God will use for your deliverance to propel you into your destiny. That ought to make somebody shout today. Especially somebody who feels like you're in the fire right now. If you're in the fire, You ought to be rejoicing because the very thing the enemy determined for your ill is what God is going to use for your good. I wish there was somebody here today who understood your protection. Your protection is Isaiah 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flames burn you. Your protection is Isaiah 54 and 17. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper, and every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servant of the Lord, and their vindication is from me, declares the Lord. Your protection is John 10, 27 and 28. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give eternal life to them and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. That's your protection today. So if your health is failing, keep worshiping. 
If your family's falling apart, keep worshiping. If your faith is under attack, keep worshiping. God's delivering power is unleashed in the midst of your worship. God walks. Oh, I wish you understood what happens when, when you worship, God gets in the midst. God walks in the midst of his worshipers. Do you understand that? Do you understand God walking in your midst? God, when you worship, God's there. God's always there when you worship. God walks in the midst in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. In the cool of the day, God is right there in the midst of his people as they're worshiping. God walks in the midst in Exodus when the tabernacle is erected and the glory of God is revealed in the cloud by day and the fire by night. God walks in the midst in Chronicles when the temple is dedicated and the glory of God fills the temple in such measure that the priests can't even stand to minister. God walks in the midst in John chapter 1 when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. It tabernacles among us and we beheld his glory. Glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God walks in the midst in the book of the Revelation when we see the seven lampstands, which are the churches, and the seven stars, which are the messengers to the churches, and the Son of God is right there walking in the midst of the candlesticks. I'm telling you, God is in the midst of his worshipers, and when God is there, he's going to protect his own. Your worship changes your position. Your worship commissions your protection. Last one, I want you to see that your worship will compel your promotion. After the boys are brought out of the furnace, after they're examined and found to be protected, the Bible says suddenly the king had a complete change of heart. Listen to what he says in verses 29 and 30. He says, therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their homes reduced to a, a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no God who is able to deliver in this way. And then watch this. In the next verse, he says, the king then caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now that, my friends, is what you call a promotion. Notice the decree to throw them into the fire in the first place came what? By the word of the king. Now the promotion came by the word of the king. I tell you, the same person that was determined to destroy them is now the same person that is promoting them. I suspect I'm preaching this word, and, and, and it isn't going to resonate with everybody, but but I believe somebody's going to latch onto this word by faith today. I'm suggesting you can worship your way into a promotion. See, there are too many people looking in the wrong place for their promotion. Psalm 75, verses 6 and 7 says, For not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the desert comes exaltation, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. It is God who puts you in position. It is God who causes your name to be whispered in the ear of the king that moves you to your next place, that elevates you to your new position. It is God who recognizes gifts and abilities that have been dedicated to him, and then he uses those gifts to accomplish his purpose to the praise of his glory. And he'll bring people across your path. And if, you'll not, if you're not careful when that happens, you'll, you'll go away, away from that encounter, from that meeting, you'll say, my, what, what wasn't that a nice coincidence? <laughs> no such thing. It was providence. 
It was God orchestrating your life. It was the steps of a good person being ordered by the Lord. It is God who puts you in positions of authority. You thought you did it on your own hard work. You thought you got here just because you studied extra hard and you met the right people. Oh, no, no, no. It is God who gives you abilities. It is God who gives you favor. It is God who helps you remember stuff you should have forgotten a long time ago. It is God who puts somebody in your path and that somebody says, I don't even know why, but I like you and I want to help you and I'm going to elevate you and I'm going to put you in a position you never thought would be yours. I'm telling you, God will do that for true worshipers if you'll hold on to him. If you'll trust him, God will bring your promotion. Your worship can be the catalyst that will turn things around. And instead of being subject to the decisions of others, you can be the one making the decisions. So instead of complaining about your opposition, start worshiping in the midst of opposition. Instead of complaining about your adversaries, start worshiping in the midst of your adversaries. <laughs> It'll mess them up. If you, instead of complaining about the things that happen on your job, start worshiping that you have a job. If you'll put God first, he'll see to it you're not overlooked. If you'll put God first, he'll put you in the position you need to be. If you'll put God first, he'll see to it that nothing stands in the way of your promotion. I'm trying to help you understand there is delivering power in your worship. Worship unleashes the power to change your position, to commission your protection, and to compel your promotion. So I just wonder, as I bring this to a conclusion, come, come play, Pastor Larry, and play me down. Um, I just wonder if I have any worshipers in the house today. Any worshipers in the house. I wonder if anybody listening to this message needs a change in your position. Anybody need to be set free? Anybody need to get unstuck so you can start moving forward again? I wonder if I'm talking to anybody who needs a commission for your protection. Anybody feel like you're under attack? You, you need the protection of the Lord. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody who needs a divine intervention that will compel your promotion. Anybody need to move up? Anybody need to get on the winning side of life for a change? I want to tell you there's delivering power in your worship. So I wonder if I have any worshipers in the house today. Do I have anyone willing to say, I'm going to worship until the deliverance comes. I'm going to worship until the change comes. I don't care what anybody else, else says. I'm going to worship until the transforming power is released. I don't care if I'm in the fire. I'm still going to worship. See, one of the reasons we have such a hard time worshiping in the fire is because we weren't worshiping before the fire. If you're worshiping before being thrown into the fire, then it'll be, worship, it'll be easy to worship when you get in the fire because you'll already start looking like the one you're worshiping. I'm telling you, if you'll worship, the Lord will set you free. He'll change your position. He'll commission your protection. He'll compel your promotion. What about it? Any worshipers in the house? Anybody need one of those things I've been preaching about today? If that's you and you need that, I want you to just stand right where you are. Some are already standing. If you need one of those things, Stand and put your hands up. Say, Lord, I'm going, to worship in, I'm going to worship you right now in the fire. I'm going to worship you in the storm. I'm going to worship you in the midst. Because when I worship you in the midst of my stuff, then you'll come in the midst with me. And you'll do what needs to happen in my... Come on, keep those hands up. Keep them up. I'm worshiping, Lord. See these hands, Lord? This is my hand of worship lifted up to you right now. 
Now, Lord, I'm asking you to confirm your word by the power of your spirit. Confirm your word in the name of Jesus. Do it. Do it. Do it, Jesus. We release it to you right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I'm pressing on the upward way. New heights I'm gaining every day. Still praying as I'm onward bound. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on Stand and sing it one more time. 